Good afternoon. Uh, thanks for joining us again for another uh, Thursday Pastors Podcast. Uh, my name is Bob, once again joined here with Todd. Uh, we're glad you could uh, meet with us this afternoon. Uh, this is the Edifying the Saints Podcast, a ministry of Maranatha Bible Church. We are located just outside of Grand Rapids, Michigan in Comstock Park. So uh, we have been going through a series called Family Matters and Last week we discussed sanctification and marriage, how uh, God uses our spouse to <clears throat> sanctify us. So connected with that, maybe you could talk about this just for like 30 seconds. Connected with that, we are going to be talking about how we handle conflict in marriage. So how would you connect those two together? Well, certainly they are connected <clears throat> because uh, you're not going to be sanctified in the absence of conflict. Mm. So one of the things God does in our marriages is he, he allows conflict to take place. And in that conflict, there's, that's part of the crucible. That's part of the means by which God is honing and shaping and perfecting and maturing and growing and making us more like Christ. So I think we have to, on the one hand, expect that there's going to be some conflict because we're sinners. You put two pieces of flint together, you're going to get some sparks. You're going to put two sinners together in a close relationship. You're going to get some conflict. And yet, even in the midst of all that, I love this. This is how God works. Sometimes, you know, he uses our sin to accomplish his purposes. And so part of the purposes that he allows, even in the conflict in our marriage, is for our own good and our own sanctification. So they're they're obviously very connected. Oh, that's good. I think uh, we could kind of debunk two myths, first of all. First myth is great marriages have no conflict, right? So we would say there is no such thing as a marriage with no conflict. So, and there are great marriages, so therefore, great marriages do have conflict, yep. right? And the second myth would be um, that all conflict is bad. Um, so there is conflict, as you were saying, <clears throat> even though it may be sinful, God is using it for yep. sanctification. So we want to make sure that you guys understand the absence of conflict is not indicative of a good marriage, nor is the presence of conflict indicative of a bad marriage. Yeah. Right. So, some, you know, we do a lot of premarital counseling, and sometimes we'll have couples say to us, you know, we, we've never had a fight. <laughs> and you just, we just, it's so wonderful. It's so great. We, we never argue. We never disagree. And, you know, we just cut through that right away and say, right. listen, you're going to have conflict. And you can have a great relationship. And there's still going to be conflict. Right. And that's just part of it. And uh, what was the other one you said? The second one was? Uh, that a great marriage is the absence of it and a poor marriage, or you having conflict means that you have a poor marriage. Yeah, just because you have some conflict with each other doesn't mean you have a bad, bad marriage. In fact, we would say that oftentimes marriages, good, solid marriages, are what they are because they've been through mm. conflict. They've been through trouble. They've been through suffering. They've been through hardship and they've been through issues with each other that have brought them to the point of learning how to defer to one another and love each other. And so you actually, you want to see some conflict. That sounds, it may sound a little strange, mm. but you want to see some conflict in those marriages and relationships because that's part of the process the Lord uses to draw yourself closer together. Yeah, it's good. And I think even, it's not necessarily in our notes, but I'm thinking back to um, a few of the podcasts we've done, especially um, within the confines of Family Matters and the purpose of like women training women. And <clears throat> you can see like what you're just saying is um, if you talk to somebody who's been married 50 years and they say, man, the first 20 years was rough. Well, if you're in that first 20 years, all you're looking at is it's rough. 
But if you have somebody come up and saying, hey, get through that, there is an end, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, these final 35 years, man, they were glorious. Yeah. It was only because of those first 20 years though, of conflict that now our latter years are glorious and we're living Yeah, well. Yeah, and, and you know, those couples, um, they were willing to, to stick with it. Hmm. Uh, they, they, went, they didn't throw in the towel at the eight-year mark or the four-year mark and just right. say, you know what, this is not what I signed up for. This is too hard. I'm out of here. Right. Why, why, does, why does a couple who's been married for five decades have a sweetness in their marriage? It's because they've been through the trenches. Right. They've been through some of those issues. Uh, we, we should clarify maybe in some of these discussions this week and last week that marriage isn't all bad. <laughs> my, my, my wife said to me, you know, it, it kind of sounded like marriage is always the source of hardship and no there's joy here there's joy yeah there's, there's joy there's goodness there, there's sweetness in marriage yeah but there's also those hard times and and we have to remember that in the midst of all of that the lord is working and he's growing and he's sanctifying us so that the peaceful fruit of all of that is a oneness and mm. unity so yeah that that's a good point yeah well let's uh let's we're only gonna have two Two kind of headings uh, this afternoon. The first heading is why does conflict happen, and the second heading is what can we what can we do in the midst of how do we respond biblically to that. So I want to spend some time on why does conflict happen. I think uh, I think oftentimes we're you know we can be very self centered culture, and so we never think it's our fault. Uh, when conflict happens. And I don't know about you, but when I'm driving down the road, I feel like if everyone would just do what I say, there'd be no conflict on the road whatsoever. Um, and so we can't. We have this tendency to think our way's right. And if people just listen to us, and then we bring that into our marriage, we bring that into our families and stuff. So I want to talk about conflict, but we want to talk about the, the source of conflict kind of broadly, and then bringing it down to you know how that looks within the confines of marriage. So I thought we could start at James 4. Um, in James 4, he says, uh, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? He asks these two rhetorical questions. Is it not the source, uh, your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and cannot, cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. So he kind of gives us, he lays our heart bare there a little bit. Well, you're a biblical counselor. Why don't you talk about expectations and how tightly held expectations mm. can lead to this source of quarrel because that's what that's what he's getting at it's, it's something inside of us these he calls them pleasures that wage war in our members there's something inside of us that leads to that so from a biblical counselor's perspective what's going on there with expectations and, and desires and those kinds of things yeah a lot of times our our expectations especially in marriage i mean we all have expectations when it comes to marriage husbands wives um, and, and especially in your younger years of being married, you have a tendency to paint this kind of picture in your mind of how you expect everything to be. So you hold these expectations high. And then when your expectations aren't met, well, what does he say here? You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. And so you are desiring something so much. And this lust is even beyond the confines of sexual lust. And so you're lusting over that perfect marriage or that perfect meal or that perfect vacation or whatever it is. And you want that thing and you're lusting after it and you can't get it. And then the same thing, you're envious. And so we always think other people's marriages are better than ours, right? The whole grass is greener on the other side. So we have this idol in our heart that we put up and we hold this idol up. And we say, if, if these expectations aren't meeting, or if this reality is not meeting my expectations, then I'm going to get upset because I want what I want. 
and r rarely I could say over the last 15, 20 years, rarely have I seen someone come in and say, yeah, my expectations weren't met, but I'm fine with that. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, we often illustrate it with just a, a tight closed That's fist. Right, yeah. We, we think of, man, I, I want this so bad, or I want this marriage to go this way, or I wanted this to happen in this situation. And, and those expectations are held in a very clenched fist. That's right. And so when your spouse begins to pry your fingers mm -hmm. off of those expectations because it's not going the way you wanted, that, that's where the rub happens. Absolutely. And we get upset and frustrated. Actually, the context leading up to James 4 is exactly this. At the end of James 3, you know, he's talking about wisdom from above and wisdom from below. And he says in verse 14 of James 3, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, mm. there's disorder in every evil thing. Mm. So in the context, James is actually defining for us the source of this lust or, or what it is. He calls it jealousy, selfish ambition, and when that's present, there's going to be disorder. And he's talking about conflict. That's right. That's good. Yeah, because, you know, when you hear someone say, I never thought it would be like this, that's the nice way of saying, I have idols and expectations that are unmet that I'm holding on to, and I never thought it would end up like this. Well, I can, I can say rarely do things end up the way they, we think they are because never are we the villain, right? right? And it's always on somebody else. Yeah. And so the source here, our unmet expectation, our desires and our own pleasures, and when we don't get it, we fight. Yeah, so, I mean, we, we talk about this often. How do, how do you identify an idol? Mm. An idol is either you, you know an idol is in your heart when you sin because you didn't get it, or you sin to get it. That's right. So if there's a conflict between or you... Or sin to keep it. Is or what, sin to yeah. keep it, yeah. <clears throat> uh, if that's happening in your marriage, then this is like God's warning sign. Hey, you have an idol here. You have, you have something mm. that's, that's deeply rooted in your heart. You've got a tightly clenched fist. And perhaps the Lord is actually wanting to sanctify you in the course of that conflict to peel your fingers off of that idol. Yeah, that's, I, I like that warning sign. So I say that a lot in counseling is our emotions. So the, the conflict that wants to come is that emotions coming up. We would say it's anger, right? So don't try to put a new label on anger. It's not you're frustrated or this. you're angry. And that anger then should be like the, the light on your dashboard that says check engine. Yeah. So don't just put a piece of black tape over it. <laughs> right? It fixes everything. It fixes right? everything. Duct tape, black duct tape. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> uh, but that's something that you should say, hey, wait a minute. Why am I getting angry over whatever is transpiring right now? And so that should automatically cause you to take a step back because yeah. that warning sign has come up. Yeah. Yeah, and moving on to Galatians 5, which is another text that yeah, we wanted to bring into the play here. Uh, oftentimes, you know, that, that's an indicator that one or both of us is walking in the flesh. Yeah. So you know, we're all familiar with Galatians uh, chapter 5 where it talks about the, the fruit of the Spirit. You know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Those are the songs, but they don't sing the ones that come before that. <laughs> Why is that? <laughs> Why is that? <laughs> Someone needs to put that to music. But notice you know, Galatians 5, 19 and 20, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, 
And then he goes on this long list, enmities, Hmm. strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, and factions. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight words that or seven words that he uses to to capture the conflict that erupts when someone or people are walking in the flesh. So oftentimes what we say, you know, in premarital counseling and marital counseling is if there's if there's a lot of conflict in the relationship, it's a, another warning sign mm-hmm. that either one or both of you is walking in the flesh. That's good. And I like the verse 16 there in Galatians 5, because he says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. And then verse 17, for the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit. And he's very clear, right? They're in opposition to one another. And so you have your flesh, so all of those things you just read off, the things that aren't too song, right? (laughs) That's the desire that's coming up. So some people can feel the heat coming up as they're starting to get angry, or they start to get blinders on as they're just focused because they're getting mad. These are all the desires. And I think even all the way back to Genesis where God said, take care of this sin because this desire, it's at your doorstep. He's talking to Cain. It's at your doorstep, and this desire is to be over you. Yeah. And that's what we have to make sure that we're recognizing that desire. Sin wants to have it. Even though we're born again, even though we're saved, yeah. even though we have the new spirit in us, the heart of flesh, not a heart of stone, all those kind of things, sin still desires to be our master. Yeah, so the couple who's in marital conflict then needs to think, uh, I'm not walking in the spirit right now, I'm walking in the flesh. Hmm. So how do I... How do I slay the flesh? How do I put down these idols? How do I make sure that right now the Spirit of God is controlling me in this situation rather than my flesh? So really, marriage counseling is not that complicated. (laughs) It's not. It's hard. Yeah, it's very hard. But it's not that complicated. It's just getting each person to a point to recognize when they're being controlled by the flesh and when they're being controlled by the Spirit. That's it. That's it. And so the, the solution, likewise, is quite simple. You, you need to start walking in the spirit rather so, than the flesh. Check, you're done. I mean, <laughs> right, right. That, that is the solution to all marital problems, Amen. right? Amen. But therein lies the difficulty because we're hesitant to, to give up our, our rights and our position, and we want to be right. That's right. And then uh, the other one we wanted to bring up, we've got about uh, 10, 10, 12 minutes left here, is 1 Corinthians 13. And uh, just briefly talk on what does that mean um, that we want love to cover a multitude of sins. Uh, we want to make sure that um, uh, we overlook those things uh, of sin that, uh, uh, that sinned against us. And so we have to decide, are we just going to overlook this? Yeah. Or is this something that we're going to bring up? And, and then as we bring that up, um, and now we're going to kind of go into the realm of how do we deal with the conflict in our marriage biblically. So as we bring up conflict, there's a biblical way to do it. And so we can choose, do we want to let love, let our love just overlook this? Um, and we talked about this a little bit before, and, and, but is this a preference issue mm. or is this a sin issue? Yeah. And so, you know, what, ex- explain that difference. Tell, like, what is it? You know, your wife does something or says something, uh, which I know she's never the source of the conflict. Um, just for the record, I want to get that out there. Um, but uh, says something, do something. How do you differentiate? How do you delineate in your mind? Hey, this is a, this is just a preference thing. I need to yeah. swallow it, or you know, is this a sin issue? <clears throat> well, I think the simple answer to your question is: Can you tie a book, chapter, and verse mm. to what you think the issue is? 
uh, if if the issue is, you know, they don't dry your clothes all the way, and you're putting on a wet shirt, I mean, that's that's not a biblical issue. Right. That's a preference issue. It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, so you have to be able to identify: is this something I can just overlook? I think part of this too is being able to to think through: has my spouse had a hard day? Mm. Uh, has it been stressful? Has there been just been some things that are difficult, you know, that I just need to give some grace here. This is what Proverbs says, it's to one's glory to overlook an offense. It's what Peter says, to let love cover a multitude of sins. I think generally that's how we should react. Mm. I think generally in marriages and even in all relationships, we should be willing to grant grace. Mm. Um, but I think then you, then you say, well, okay, this is not a preference issue. It's now a pattern that I'm seeing in this person's life, and I can tie a book, chapter, and verse to it. Then it becomes an issue that that you have to deal with, and you have to bring it out, and you have to address it, and you have to get the issue on the table, and you have to talk it through. I, I think sometimes there's this mis- misconception that you know we just have to always be peacemakers, and we do have to be peacemakers. Matthew five, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about this, but being a peacemaker doesn't mean you always sweep it under the rug. That's a false perception of what it means to right. be a peacemaker. And when that happens, when, when couples do that over years and decades, if all they're doing is to preserve the peace of sweeping the issue on the, under the rug, then after a time, a wall b- builds up. Mm. And so you have to be willing to go to those issues and address those issues and have open, honest communication with each other about them. That's good, yeah. Yeah, and then uh, even within that, so um, what you're saying is we have to know the conflict that we are, or to know the source of the conflict that we're talking about. Yeah. So we can't just uh, flippantly say, hey, you know, that because we're such emotional beings, we don't take a minute to sit down and think, okay, let me think through this and and put this together. Because you don't want to hold on to something and have it cause bitterness. But at the same time, you don't want to bring something out that is just a preference issue. Right. And then you're now making mountains out of molehills. Um, and, I, and I think it's also good to, to insert that if you decide, hey, I'm going to let this pass, or even if you go to the person you reconcile, then that's done. It's done. So you don't want another source of conflict to be the fact that you yourself can't forget those things that are in the past. Because right. once you stamp it, you know, you have to let it go. Yeah, if you're going to overlook it, you overlook it and you move on. Uh, it's First Corinthians 13 again, love doesn't keep a record of wrong. That's right. So, yeah, that's good. That's good. And so then the other one is we have to go in with the right attitude. So how do we deal with conflict? We know we're having conflict about. Another one is we have to make sure we have the right attitude. And as we said at the beginning, if we automatically assume that conflict is bad, means you have a bad marriage, and then all of a sudden your spouse comes to you like, hey, I want to talk to you about something, and you just break down <laughs> because you think conflict's always bad, but your attitude is okay, how is the Lord working in my heart for sanctification, working in each of us so we can grow closer to one another through this as well? Yeah, so I think the attitude that you're talking about here is it's an attitude of humility that we have to be willing to go to that conflict, not having lined up all of our defenses and how we're going to plead our case and how we're going to try to win the argument and put the other person down, Mm. that that you come to that discussion with an attitude of humility that says, all right, I want to honor Christ here. 
That's that's the goal for us as believers. That that's the goal. Yeah. It's not it's not me coming out on top. It's me saying, I want Christ to be honored here. Mm. And if I need to swallow my pride, and confess something and repent of something, I'll do that immediately. Yeah, because here at the end of the day, like you said, what matters most is is God honored, glorified, and is there unity, especially between the husband and the wife, and you yeah. want to have that unity that's between them. Uh, and then the next one is remember that you're dealing with a child of God and also that God is present. Right? I think oftentimes we leave church or we leave our work or whatever, we go home and we forget like our wife is born again. Christ died on the cross for her or, or her husband and you're dealing with someone whom Christ, who God chose and Christ died for and the Holy Spirit regenerated and they're just like you. And so you're dealing with someone who God loves just like you. Um, and so we need to keep that in mind. And this verse in Matthew uh, is pretty easy to, to, to remember something that's in my mind a lot. Matthew 12, and he says, But I say to you that for every idle word men speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So, yes, there is a record being taken mm. of the words that you say. And so as remembering... How do I want to speak to my husband mm. or wife? And God is actually listening. Absolutely. Yeah, I think too, these are the one another's. All the one another's in the mm. New Testament apply to marriage as well. If your spouse is a believer, you know, love one another and serve one another and be patient with one another and forbearing with one another and forgive one another. That's not just what you do in church when you show up on Sunday morning. Right. That needs to define your marriage relationship as well. Yeah. And I think sometimes it's easy, especially for men, not to weep when their wives weep and not to mourn when they mourn. And so, as you said, if, if we can take this one another's and see that we get to do it right at home. Yeah. Like all the time. We don't just turn it on when we go to church. Right. Uh, and then even in conflict, there's great purpose. So give us the great purpose of conflict. <laughs> Well, it goes back to what we talked about last week, mm. that, uh, you know, what's, what's God doing? God is sanctifying us. He's growing us. He's conforming us to the image of Christ. And so these are opportunities for us to grow in that. I think of Colossians chapter 3, where it says you need to put on humility and kindness mm. and, and love and patience and gentleness. And um, um, all of that is kind of the glue that holds relationships together. And uh, we haven't arrived yet. I haven't arrived in all those things. I haven't right. perfectly put those things on. So conflict is an opportunity for me to learn to grow in those areas that I still need growth in. And it's an opportunity to, to see just our great need for the Lord to intervene and to work in our marriage. And it really forces us, I think, into a mode of dependence mm -hmm. on the Lord. I, I think that's a key part of it as well as, uh, Lord, we need you. We need you to work in this marriage. Uh, we need you to continue being the focus of this marriage. And uh, we want to keep seeking Christ together. Mm. Um, so all of that, you know, we, we think about the, process, the, the product as the end goal. And the product in this case might be the absence of conflict. Mm. But there's a process of getting to that. Mm, yeah. And God is often more interested in the process of bringing us to resolving that conflict as he is the actual resolution of the conflict. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I think, you know, you said dependency. It, when you have conflict, it shows, first of all, that you and your spouse are not perfect. And that secondly, you need somebody who is. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's good. I yeah. like that. And then lastly, um, it just helps, uh, we would say, biblically dealing with conflict is it forces you to communicate with one another, right? Instead of building up walls, instead of just turning around and saying, fine, have it your way, or, you know, whatever it is that, that people do, um, it, it makes us to, even though communication is not 
the the savior of all things, right? Um, but when we're communicating with each other, it actually shows something that's going on in our heart that I love that person enough um, to be able to communicate not only the things you've done that have hurt me, but also that I want to reconcile these things too. Yeah, we have a saying uh, oftentimes that we mention about elders. We talk about team unity amongst our elders, and we say team unity is built on the anvil of open, honest communication. It's a big anvil. It's a big anvil. <laughs> and what happens at anvil, on anvils? Yeah. There's sparks that fly. There's metal that's being beat. There's, there's, there's this pressure that's being put. Well, that anvil, hmm. when open, honest communication is there, it, it results in unity because that's you're right. working through things. Same thing is true in marriage, that mm. m- unity in marriage and oneness in marriage is built on the anvil of open, honest communication. That's right. So honest don't, com- don't stuff it. Don't sweep it under the rug. Yeah. Don't make that wall grow higher and mm. higher. <clears throat> uh, you have to lovingly and graciously talk through issues. It's Ephesians 4. Speak the truth in mm. love. You have to speak. That, that means you open your mouth and you say words and <laughs> right. you don't try to play the body, you know, in whatever, your, your body language game. Right, or silent treatment. Silent treatment, yeah. ignoring each other. You know, how often don't we hear of couples who ignore each other for weeks? Yeah, I, yeah. I've heard I mean, that. I don't get it. Yeah. That is often. That it happens is. often. <clears throat> it does. That doesn't breed unity, right. oneness in a marriage. You have to talk and you have to get those issues out and work through them in a humble, gracious way. Yeah, that's good. And the the only thing I would close with is doing all of this prevents you from getting bitterness towards your spouse. It prevents you from, um, you know, really looking into yourself and isolating yourself um, because you are one. Like spiritually, you're one with your spouse, right. uh, and you want to make sure that you're cultivating that relationship with them. So that's good. That's good. All right, guys. Well, I hope this was helpful as we uh, talked about conflict and marriage and as we said at the beginning, just to reiterate, you know, conflict is not a bad thing. Um, you don't have a poor marriage because you have conflict with one another. You may have different ways you need to communicate with each other, but it's not a. It's not saying, hey, we have to cast off everything because we argue with each other. Um, all all marriages will go through that. So, hope this was helpful. Um, enjoy talking with you, and we'll be back with you next week. Have a good rest of the day.